We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you please join me now for our prayer of illumination? O oh, gracious Heavenly Father, guide us by your word and Holy Spirit that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first reading today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. It's found in, I think, page 676 of the Pew Bibles. Arise, shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This fall, about 25 or so of us pause what we're doing at the middle of the day on Tuesday and we gather via Zoom to perambulate with Paul. We do this because Paul is so important. He, only next to Jesus, is responsible for the primary contours of the Christian church. The letters that he wrote are the earliest writings that we find in the New Testament. He wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else did. And the journeys that he made, going from city to city, that launched the transformation of a very small Jewish sect that was a mere blip on the world map, transforming it into a worldwide movement. Paul is so important, and that's why I find it really puzzling that the lectionary, which is given to the church for preaching and for teaching in a three-year cycle, does not have a single verse from the last nine chapters of the book of Acts found in it. It's in these last nine chapters that the travels of Paul are detailed by Luke, who was writing his sequel to the gospel, according to Luke, telling the story of the church. So it's puzzling that that's not there in the lectionary, but this is World Communion Sunday, and so I have taken it upon myself to make a small effort to correct the lectionary. <laughs> and um, the text for today is found in the last two chapters of the book of Acts. These are the this is the final leg of Paul's odyssey, if you will. He's making his way to the the primary city of the Western world at that time, the city of Rome. And so I'll be reading selected verses from the 27th and the 28th chapter 
of Acts. And I'll be kind of filling in the blanks as I read portions and then tell what happens and then go on to the next section. Let us listen for God's word to us. When it was decided that we were to sail for Italy, they transferred Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Embarking on a ship of Adramidium that was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. So they set out, and it wasn't long before the weather conditions began to worsen. Eventually, they did make it to the seaport of Fair Havens, which is found on the south coast of the island of Crete. And now continuing on to the ninth verse. Since much time had been lost and sailing was now dangerous because even the fast had already gone by, and the fast is the Day of Atonement, which of course Jewish community still celebrates today, and so this place is, this gives us a time. It would have been at the end of September. Because even the fast had already gone by, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I can see that the voyage will be with much danger and much heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Well, they set sail, and no sooner were they out on the waters than the storm began to blow. At first, it was a gentle and promising breeze, but it wasn't long before it became very loud and blustery and dangerous. Eugene Peterson writes that the ship was like a cork in the storm. They drifted for two solid weeks, and they began to... Uh, unload the cargo, throw it over the side of the ship in order to, to lighten the load. And at this point, Paul being Paul, says to the people there, well, I told you so. And, uh, but mostly his words were words of encouragement, saying, don't give up. An angel has come to me and told me that no one is going to lose his life. So don't be afraid. Keep on keeping on. And the story continues then. When the 14th night had come, as we were drifting across the Sea of Adria, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took soundings and they found 20 fathoms. A little further on, soundings against, again and found 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. But when the sailors tried to escape from the ship and had lowered the boat into the sea on the pretext of putting out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the boat and they set it adrift. Just before daybreak, Paul urged all of them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been in suspense and remaining without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will help you survive, for none of you will lose a hair from your heads. After he had said this, Paul took bread, 
and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves. We were in all 276 persons on the ship. The ship ultimately ran aground on a sandbar and it began to break apart. And so the soldiers who had been charged to make sure that the prisoners got to Rome began to make preparations to kill all of the prisoners. But Julius, the centurion, intervened and he saved them all from death, a violent death, including Paul. And what he did then was to ask everybody who could swim, and if somebody could swim, he told them to dive in and to make a go for it. And if you couldn't swim, he told them, well, take hold of a plank, and maybe you'll make it too. And ultimately, they did all make it to land, just as God had promised Paul. Continuing on with chapter 28. After we had reached safety, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us unusual kindness. Since it had begun to rain and was cold, they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us around it. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It so happened that the father of Publius lay sick in bed with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and cured him by praying and putting his hands on him. And after this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They bestowed many honors on us, and when we were about to sail, they put on board all the provisions we needed. Well, ultimately, uh, the voyage was successful, and Paul made it to Rome. And the final words of Luke's account of the beginning of the Church of Jesus Christ are these words. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title of the sermon is A Story of Truth and Mercy, A Story of Peace and Light. A Story of Truth and Mercy, A Story of Peace and Light. I need a little help in preaching this sermon, so I've asked the choir to help me out.
now I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have ever heard of that hymn or sung it? Yes, okay, I can look at the, well, Courtney, you've actually heard it. Most people who have heard it or sung it are people who are my age or older. <laughs> it is a very, very old hymn. And um, it was uh, written, actually, in 1836. Now, I remember singing it in my Sunday school class in the 1950s, along with all the other little girls who were wearing their um, black patent leather Mary Jane shoes and their white anklets, and the little boys who had their little clip-on ties. And we marched around our Sunday school classroom to a martial tempo with uh, that song being plunked out with a very triumphant tempo. And uh, so it was really a kind of active, very, very active, wonderful thing. And um, the song actually was written in 1836, and it was intended to be sung in Sunday school. And the person who wrote it had a kind of an interesting sense of humor. Um, he, his, his name, what he did was he took his name and he made an anagram out of it, he mixed up all the letters of his real name, and he came up with the name Colin Stern. And so I kind of picture him like Courtney, bringing the children down the aisle for the children's message and saying, you know, guess what? You might think you know my name, but I've mixed the letters up, and now you can call me Colin Stern. Um, maybe kind of like if Courtney today had said, um, have you ever heard of somebody whose name is Britney Spears? Her name's in the news this week. Because if you mix up the, the letters of Britney Spears' names, do you know what it, you get? Anybody know? Presbyterians. <laughs> now, I know that uh, the sermon, if I were to ask you three days from now what it was about, you're going to be able to tell me that an anagram of Britney Spears' name is Presbyterians, right? So the, the hymn was written a long time ago in 1836, 1896, and here are some of the other events that occurred in 1896. The first rails of the Uganda Railway were laid in what is now present-day Kenya. The modern-day Summer Olympic Games began in Athens in 1896. The person who went by the pen name of O. Henry, William Sidney Porter, had fled to Honduras in order to escape a charge of embezzlement in the States, and there he wrote a short story that was entitled Cabbages and Kings, in which he coined the phrase, Banana Republic. A Haitian writer Hannibal Price, published a book. The book was entitled On the Rehabilitation of the Black by the Republic of Haiti. The United States Supreme Court ruled that racial segregation was legal in its ruling on Plessy v. Ferguson. John Philip Sousa wrote The Stars and Stripes Forever. Western missionaries 
boarded ships and set sail for Africa, for Asia, for Central America, for South America. And while the lectionary doesn't give us the last nine chapters of Acts to read, these stories of Paul's travels, and we don't read those stories very much in our day as a result, I have a hunch that for those Western missionaries who are setting sail for these far-off lands, these were passages of scripture that they held close to their hearts. Nowadays, we have come to understand some of the blindnesses, some of the shortcomings of the mission efforts that took place at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. As one of the characters in Barbara Kingsolver's novel, The Poisonwood Bible, puts it, her name is Leah, and she is the daughter of a Baptist missionary in the Congo. She says very insightfully, what we are sure is right can also be wrong in a different place, especially here. And in a, another place in the novel, a second character who is also a missionary, far more insightful than the main character, the Reverend Nathan Price, he says, I happen to believe that the Congolese people have a whole world of grace in their lives and that they have known how to make a joyful noise unto the Lord for a long, long time. We've come to understand the shortcomings and have come to understand that for many of these mission efforts, that great story of God's truth and mercy, of Christ, peace and light, was tainted. Perhaps tainted simply by insensitive, nearsightedness as to culture, or at worst, by crass colonial economic exploitation. And the people who carried this wonderful story so far away from their own homeland were often unaware of the irony of proclaiming a gospel that comes from the pen of Paul that points to Jesus who came to break down the dividing walls of hostility between Jews and Gentiles at the same time that the Supreme Court of their homeland was declaring the legality of racial segregation. They perhaps failed to see the irony of preaching a gospel that speaks of Jesus who is the same today 
yesterday, and forever. At the same time that they were tapping their toes to the stars and stripes, forever. And so it's for this reason that triumphalistic hymns like We've a Story to Tell to the Nations have largely fallen out of favor. But you know, sometimes in our efforts not to commit the same sins that our forebears committed, we cause the pendulum to swing a little too far in a corrective way. And so, perhaps what has happened in our effort to not recommit those sins of our forebears is that we have muted our voices, our voices to tell the story of God's truth and mercy, to live the story of God's peace and light. And so that's why I believe that these stories that are told in the last nine chapters of the book of Acts are very important for us to, to read and to hear in our own time. Because when you actually stop to think about it, while there are 20 centuries that celebrate, that separate us from Paul's day, there's quite a bit that is the same. For you see, the church, the church is always a ship that is being battered about by the culture in which it lives and moves and has its being, by the current events of whatever day it finds itself. As Luke tells the story, he's telling the story very literally, that it was the forces of nature that were allied against the taking of this story to the capital of the whole world, Rome. But as Luke wrote the story down, several decades perhaps after, after Paul made these journeys, you get the sense that it's also a metaphor for those other forces that were allied against Paul and Paul's companions. Because one of those forces that was allied against him was the religious establishment. It was a religious establishment that had become calcified and stale and resistant to change. Perhaps there were people in it who were saying, well, we never did it that way before, or we've always done it that way this time. And as he sought to tell this story of truth and mercy, of peace and light, he was doing it also in the midst of a Gentile culture where there were all of this, this was this panoply of gods and goddesses to worship, and so they found this story of one God who comes to us in love in the person of Jesus, they found that to be utterly confusing. Does that sound like perhaps even the church in our own day? Mac has talked to us today about 
those forces that are swirling around us in a storm. COVID, racial and political division, climate change, catastrophe, all of that, those allied against us in the current events of our own day. And have you heard the church turn in on itself? <laughs> Resistant to change, saying, oh, well, we've always done it that way, and it worked. Or we've never tried that, and I'm sure it will fail. And as for that culture around us, no, we don't have gods and goddesses out there on our street corners asking us to worship them. But a Gallup poll that was done in 2020 has noted that for the first time in the United States, fewer than half Americans are members of a church or a synagogue or a mosque. And 52% of us say that religion has absolutely nothing to do with our lives. So, as we read what Luke has written about Paul's journeys and Paul's ship being battered around, it's a, a reminder to us that this is always the situation of the church. And it's an encouragement us, to us to not give up, but to keep moving forward. And we're also further given to see in the text that we've read today that this story of truth and mercy, the story of peace and light, is most effectively moved forward as gestures of welcoming and grace and hospitality and caring are shared person to person. Remember the story? How Julius was kind to Paul? And the story of God's truth and mercy advanced. And how Paul took bread. He broke it. He shared it. He ate it. And all the sailors ate it too. And yes, it gave them physical sustenance, but it was also holy communion for them. And the good news, God's story of peace and light was advanced. And then the people of Malta, they kindled a fire and they welcomed the refugees who had shown up on their shore simply looking for a place of safety. And when Publius's father became ill, Paul went to him and he prayed with him. And he reached out healing hands. And then when it came time for the ship to sail once more, the people who lived on Malta, who had become neighbors now, loaded that ship with, the passage says, 
all the provisions that they needed. And the story of God's truth and mercy advanced. In a church, in a town, in South Carolina, a mere blip on the world map, the people of that church look at their bank accounts and their portfolios and the money that they have as their resources. And they could spend it on any number of things. But instead, they use some of that money and they place it in a sweet grass basket on a Sunday morning at worship. Or they write a check and they mail it to their church. Or they click on the button that says donate, send on their camera phone or on their computer. And the story of God's truth and mercy, the story of God's Peace and light advances in this, our own day, as partnerships are formed with siblings in Christ who have a world of God's grace where they live in Honduras and Haiti and Kenya and Nicaragua. Luke ends his story of Paul with these words. Paul has reached Rome and we're told that he lived there for two years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to them, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. May the story that Luke tells us that is given to us on this World Communion Sunday be an encouragement to us in our calling both to live and to tell God's story of truth and mercy, God's story of peace and light. Amen.